All right. Thank you so much. That was, that was great. Fun, fun to hear uh, the church sing. Um, again, my name is Jared. For those of you who don't know me, it's, it's great to see uh, so many people here today. Um, next Sunday is Easter, and we're going to be moving to two services. Um, this is uh, something we want to just ingrain into our culture is to have two services on a Sunday morning. Um, so after Easter, the following Sunday, when nobody likes to come back to church, we're going to have two services. And uh, this summer, when everyone's in San Diego, we're going to continue to have two services. And uh, a couple of reasons, one strategic, just to, to make sure we're able to spread out. Um, this, is, uh, it, it's, this is just such a confusing time for everyone, and, and we get it. And, um, you know, I, we're, we're trying to, to create environments that are safe for people to, to be in, and some people have the shot, some don't, some have the antibodies, some don't. Everyone has an opinion, and we've heard it. Um, we we, we want to uh, conti- continue to just say as a church, you know, let, let's honor each other, let's respect each other, let's look out for the vulnerable in our community, and uh, it's just going to be confusing for a while. Our hope is to go into two services, is that we'll be able to spread out, um, but I, I think this, is, this church is going to be growing uh, quickly, and uh, we also want to just put systems in place that can, can meet the needs in this community. Um, so that starts next Sunday as we celebrate with Easter. Um, also Easter, uh, Paradise has a tradition of having an Easter brunch, which I'm like, well, we're definitely keeping that. That's <laughs> wonderful. So uh, we'll have two 45-minute services. The first one will get out at 945. If you want to, to come to that one, stay for uh, brunch. There's a, there'll be an Easter egg hunt um, for the children. And... Uh, and then the second service will start at 10.30. So if you want to come early, you can have brunch, come to the second service. Uh, but the, the, the middle time is just going to be a time of, of hanging out. We'll have a photo booth set up. It's going to be just a great day. Um, so Easter uh, is on Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. And as Bree read the passage on Palm Sunday, it's this reminder that Jesus is king. Jesus has authority on heaven and earth. And he enters into Jerusalem on that day celebrating his kingship. But Jesus is a different kind of king, different than the rulers of this world, different than uh, the politicians of this day. And Jesus is ruling a different kind of kingdom, different than the kingdoms of this world, a different kind of kingdom that we're invited to belong to. And on Palm Sunday, there's this declaration of his kingship, that he has come riding on a donkey, The type of king that he is, is he's a king that is here to bring peace. He is here to bring the kingdom of heaven, which is this future destination, but a present reality that we catch glimpses of. In Palm Sunday, we celebrate this kingship, this lordship of of who Jesus is. I want to share a story today that I think communicates that authority and kingship of Jesus. And it's not your typical Palm Sunday story. We're going through the Gospel of Mark uh, for like nine months and find ourselves in Mark chapter 5. And Mark is communicating uh, to the church the authority of Jesus. And there's three stories found in this section. The first is he calms a storm out on the Sea of Galilee and he he shows Jesus' authority over creation and the elements. And then there's this crazy story that we're talking about today uh, where where there's this man with this demon possession and, and Jesus shows Uh, his authority over the dark forces of this world. And then next week uh, for Easter, there's this incredible story of of Jesus bringing about healing for someone that was sick and raising someone uh, from the dead. And it shows his authority over sickness, his authority over death. 
But if you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 5, uh, this was one of my favorite stories as a child because it's crazy. And uh, you can follow along. I'm going to give some, just some commentary as we read through it. It's about 20 verses and then uh, draw some of the things that I think that Mark is pointing us to in this passage. So Mark 5, starting in verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. So that's strange. So they get off this boat. Remember, they have just, Jesus has just calmed the storm. The disciples have gone through this crazy story where they're not sure if they're going to make it. And they, they get to the shore, and you imagine the adrenaline that you have when your life feels threatened, and then to have that adrenaline crash, and you're just happy to be back on the shore. They get on the shore, and they're met by this guy with this impure spirit that lives in the tombs. Like, oh, great. It says, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart like Hulk and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Imagine the state of this man. Like, if you're a, a child and you're growing up in this area, like, this is one of those, like, you, there's this, this, this crazy person that lives in the tombs, like, don't go out at night, right? You could hear him screaming. Like, I, I can't, this, this, everyone around the, the area would know of this person. This is wild. This guy is wild. And imagine, like, being in this story, you know, if you're getting done with the storm, you get onto the land, and... You know, my, my, my thought is it's probably, like, cloudy or foggy, you know? Like, when, when uh, the monsoons come in, in, here in Phoenix, like, it's always interesting to see your street the next day. There's, like, palm branches down. There's, you know, it, 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 there's this eerie stillness to it. You get off the boat, and you're met by this man who's screaming. You're met by this man that is not wearing anything, and he's got cuts all over his body. What in the world? And everything about this story for the Jewish people would have just spoken to unclean. This guy is possessed by an impure spirit. He's naked. He's isolated. He's living in tombs among the dead. He probably has open sores on his, on his body from his self-mutilation. This guy is completely isolated from community. He's in pain. There's something wrong. I can't imagine what the disciples are experiencing, like, just got out of the storm and you run into this guy. It says in verse 6, when Jesus saw him from a distance, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. So Jesus is like, I guess he knows me, right? Like, the disciples are thinking, you know, what in the world is going on? And it says, Jesus in verse 8, Jesus, he had asked him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. I mean, how creepy would that be? <laughs> like, he goes from the man's voice to like whatever this voice is. You know, I always picture this as like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, like it's this dual personality. 
Um, you know, if you're Peter, you're, I'm like, I would be like, all right, back in the boat, let's go. Back, <laughs> we're out of here, I'm done. Let's go face the storm, let's go face the Pharisees, anything. Um, this is nuts, you know, and, and, and Jesus isn't phased at all. Jesus isn't spooked out by this. He's not scared of the demon-possessed man. You know, in, in my mind, like, the, you know, the, the demon-possessed, they're, they're probably used to scaring people when they come to Jesus, and they're probably like, we're going we're gonna to call Jesus by his name, and then we're going to freak him out, and he's going to realize that this isn't just a man, it's a demon, and he says, my name is Legion, and to Jesus, he probably heard it as, like, Yoda's voice, like, you know, my name is Legion. Like, like, like Jesus, it was probably, like, comical to him. He's like, what, what is this? And, and there's this conversation that takes place. He, verse 10 says he, he begged Jesus again not to send them out of the area. And then it says a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And Jesus gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. 2,000 pigs go mad. And they run off the steep bank into the lake, drowned. We were talking about this passage in the men's Bible study and breakfast on Tuesday, and I think Tyler made a joke like, you know, this is Jesus making a splash, right? It's, it's the, the Bay of Pigs. There's all sorts of jokes that you could, you could say. This is when pigs tried to fly or whatever. I, I can't imagine the scene if you're seeing this, the, the sound, first of all, of, of what that would, would sound like, a herd of pigs. I've never really heard a herd of pigs run. My guessing is that there, it would be thunderous. It would be a lot of squealing and screaming. To see them all go into the lake, pig after pig. I can't imagine what the cleanup of that would be. How much this, like, it, like put yourself in the story. Like this, this would just be this gut-wrenching experience to see this. This is wild. Verse 14 says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people all went out to see what would happen, what had happened. So the people tending the pigs who are responsible for the pigs, I mean, I, it's, they, they run back to the town. I might have just run away if I was them. That's 2,000 pigs to just be taken out like this. They go back into the town. And you can't imagine the uh, consequences on, just economically speaking. Like this is an area that's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's called the Decapolis, which means there's like 10 towns. No one can really agree what the ten, which 10 are, are a part of this Decapolis, but it, it's, not, it, it's a Gentile area. And so for the Gentiles, they were you know, farming pigs, something the Jewish people wouldn't have done. In fact, the Jews wouldn't go near pigs. They wouldn't farm them. And so this is probably one of the, you know, if, if you want bacon, this is where you go if you're in this area. This is the only place that you can get pigs. And 2,000 of them. I, I, I have a, a friend uh, who I went to college with that grew up in Indiana and grew up on a pig farm. And, you know, they might have, you know, six, dozen, maybe 30 at, at sometimes pigs. Uh, 300 pigs would be considered a lot. 2,000 pigs? I, I mean, this, this would have, the, the whole economy of this area probably revolved around the swine. And it gets wiped out in this story. 
huge impact. The people, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, and he's sitting there, and he's dressed, and he's in his right mind, and they were afraid. What a wild... Like, they, uh, they probably come out furious. I mean, who knows who these people are? Maybe these... I, I was reading one theory that maybe these were some Jewish businessmen that that knew they weren't supposed to be dealing in swine. They had crossed over to the lake and they were living in the Decapolis and, and doing business that they shouldn't have been doing. And then they, they find out it gets wiped out and they come and they're furious and they're ready to sue. And then they realize that there's this group of Jewish people here. What's going to happen? It says that they're fearful. They're afraid. Maybe they're afraid of just the... the Whatever this demon possession that had caused the madness that had caused these pigs to, we don't know. But the man who was once crazy is sitting there. And in my mind, he's like, you know, the caveman from the Geico commercial. Like he's sitting there with like a blazer and white slacks and drinking like a red wine, maybe like a cheese board. And he's in his right mind. He's ready to get on the boat. He's ready to, you know, sail with Jesus. And they see him and they're like, this can't be the guy that, that had this reputation in this area that all of our children are terrified of. Everyone's terrified of. We can't control this guy. We've tried to chain him. And here he is in his right mind. Some sort of transformation has happened. Whatever these townspeople are thinking, they're, they're just terrified. They are terrified. They're afraid. Those who had seen it uh, told the people what had happened, what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told them about the pig's and the townspeople finally, they, they just, they, they say, whatever this is, Jesus, we need you to leave. This is too much. We don't know if to, whether we're angry or afraid. We're trying, this is a disaster for our economy. And they asked Jesus to leave. They asked him to go. And Jesus shows no remorse. He has brought healing to this man possessed by these evil spirits. He doesn't care what happened to the pigs. He cares about the person, first and foremost. Verse 18 says that Jesus was willing to go. As he's getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter was like, It says that Jesus, he did not let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done. And all the people were amazed. Once heard a sermon, this is when Jesus tells you not to follow him. He doesn't let this man get back in the boat but he gives them a task, and it's simple. Tell your friends and your family about what God has done for you, about his mercy. Just share that story. And he goes, and he becomes really the first missionary to the Gentile world. And we'll get back to what happens later on with this. But the story comes to an end here. For the townspeople, this has completely disrupted their routine, completely disrupted their economy. They're not necessarily sure what to think. They just want Jesus to go. For this man, his life has been transformed. For the disciples, they're seeing again something miraculous happening here with the presence of Jesus. 
A couple things that I want to draw our attention to is when we consider the story. Um, I think what Mark is trying to tell us is he's talking about the authority of Jesus. Is, is there's this reminder that evil forces are at work in this world beyond what we can see. It's evident here. It's evident in this story of this man that has something that is possessing him. And it's hard for us with our modern minds to, to really get into that. It can get weird when we start talking about evil forces, the spiritual realm. We get into some weird stuff when we start talking about that. But there's this reminder here that there is this other realm, this other battle where these evil forces that are at work. In fact, Jesus says this in John chapter 10, that the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. He's, in, he's come to give us life, but he's acknowledging that there's something that's trying to rob life from us. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. The enemy, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Peter's like, trust me, I've seen it, man. It gets crazy. We've seen how evil forces can work. Ephesians 6.2, Paul reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is language of a battle that's going on. Evil forces, spiritual forces that are at work. Love what C.S. Lewis has to say about the demons. And C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. Grew up, you know, reading the Chronicles of Narnia as a child and has a lot of just great theology books, a lot of shaping of, of my thinking. But he talks about, like, right, there's two myths that we fall into, or two errors that we fall into when it comes to thinking about this idea of the spiritual forces. One is we just pretend like it doesn't exist. Like, there's no such thing. And the second is that we have this unhealthy obsession with finding demons in everything. We see them in everything. I think there's this old, like, far side...